Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to take a trip to a different year of music each week and give you our, our opinions on what we found. Welcome to version 1988. You can't see us, but Jim's wearing his parachute pants and I have a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> We're in those teenage years of being invincible, smarter than everyone else, and hoping no one can see through that bullshit. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't bullshit. We have some deaths to go through. So first, Roy Orbison passed away on December 6th. 1988 he was having a career revival in the late 80s when he died in 87 he was inducted into into the nashville songwriters hall of fame and the rock and roll hall of fame mm -hmm. he had songs on soundtracks he co-wrote the song life fades away with glenn danzig for the less than zero soundtrack and his song crying was made into a duet with katie lang for another movie called hiding out and to cap off his comeback he was a member of one of the best supergroups of all time, the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. He took the nickname Lefty Wilbury as a tribute to <laughs> one of his heroes, Lefty Frizzell. He unfortunately passed away a couple months after Volume 1 was released in October, and he just finished recording a new solo album that had the hit You Got It. And he was our age when he passed away. He was only 52. That's crazy, because I remember in 1988, he seemed like he was 70 to me. I know, right? Yeah. yeah probably because we remember the older yeah. music. And I think a lot of the modern stars at that time, when you're 16 or 17 years old, 25 year olds seem 35 to 40 to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were all hero worshiping Roy Orbison because of his influence on their music from the 50s yeah, and 60s. Was. So, well, the next is a, a sad story. Someone else who passed away too soon. Hello, Slovak. I have a lot of friends who prefer the Red Hot Chili Peppers before they released Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And even though John Frusciante went on to protect the sound they were known best for, it really began with Hiloslavic. He was a founding member of the Peppers, and his guitar work was rooted in funk and hard rock, and he often experimented with other genres, including reggae and speed metal. He's considered to have been a major influence on the Chili Peppers' early sound. During his career, he developed a serious heroin addiction. He attempted many times to quit, but he died of an overdose on June 25th, 1988. And he was only 26 years old. If you go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers today, they might still play a song that they'd written as a tribute to Slavic, including Knock Me Down, My Lovely Man, and Feasting on the Flowers. And Matt, you're one of those guys who preferred the Chili Peppers' early days to what they developed into later on. Yeah, I think I just like the more of the garage bandy kind of sound and tone they had. Yeah, it was it was fun. There was something a yeah. lot of fun about those early days with the Chili Peppers. Yeah, but, you know, you could say that about a lot of groups, you know, when they're first starting out, you know. They, that's, that's true. You know, a lot of times that's their best material. Yep. So, uh, but moving on, mm -hmm. Jim, 1988. Yeah. Wasn't it nice to be in Familiar Waters this week? Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of cassettes in 1988. Like, remember those boxes, you know, that, that looked like briefcases you could open up? And they oh, had yeah. like 30 of them. I had two of those definitely that I was, yep. you know, walking around with. And it was great to go back to the full albums that I used to listen to and enjoy, not just the hits we're getting on the playlist that come from the streaming services. So I'm going to warn you, I'm going to reveal a bit of myself in this show. Some of it will be deeply personal and some of it will be my love for cheesy pop this week. But at this point in my life, I turned 50 this month. I'm going to own it and I don't give a shit. That's no big reveal. We've talked about your pop sensibility a lot on the show. So yeah. I, I think people know that's where your lean is. Yeah, you know, I've got issues, though, I need to release. I think <laughs> 2019 was therapy for you. So 1988 is probably going to be a bit of a therapy session for me. 
Okay, this is going to be interesting because I'm not entirely sure where you're going to go. Well, as you just alluded to, my roots are probably in pop. And it probably does go without saying at this point, since I'm always referencing myself as the pop guy in the show, that's what I am. But this was problematic for me when I reached the 90s and I was playing in rock bands with guys that were all embracing grunge. Even my hair metal friends, they were comfortable saying that they liked old school Metallica or Motley Crue, but I, I couldn't do the same. So was it because you're worried about being accepted for that? Yeah, absolutely. I had good friends. I, I still love these guys to this day, but we were all a bit judgmental about what we listened to. Most of the guys I hung out with in Bennington were a couple of years younger. So when they were going through high school, they had Jane's Addiction and Nine Inch Nails and Pearl Jam. And a lot of my love for pop came from high school when I was taking dance classes. You like songs that you were hearing over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. dance for me was fun. It wasn't just what my 90s friends were into. If you were hanging out with these guys and you weren't talking about the latest grunge band, you had to be talking about the Beatles or Pink Floyd, the Stones, Black Sabbath. If I told any of them how many times I'd listened to Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel, I would have gotten destroyed in a conversation. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that this was healthy, and I'm pretty sure I described in the 1997 episode how this kind of turned me into a know-it-all asshole about music. But there was this hipster element about what was cool to bring up or not. In reality, this really wasn't very cool at all. In retrospect, it was foolish for me to be embarrassed by it. But it's easy to say when you're older and wiser. And I spent a lot of years rejecting and lying about the music that I really embraced when I was a teenager during these years. So do you think that part of, you know, becoming that know-it-all asshole about music, do you think that was a little bit of a defense mechanism? I definitely think it was. I spent a lot of time. I remember being with somebody in 1991-92 who had gotten a record deal with Sony and he was working on some music. It didn't work out for him. But during that time, he told me to read every inlay of every album, CD, cassette, learn everything that you can about the business. And I really, I embraced that. Mm -hmm. When I got together with these guys in Bennington, it turned into reading everything I could about the Beatles and about the Stones and Floyd, along with trying to know everything I could about Nirvana and Pearl Jam, because really that grunge music was influenced by the same older groups that I'm mentioning here. Oh yeah. So, yeah. You know, there was a connection in that, but you definitely mm -hmm. weren't going to see an interview with Kurt Cobain where he talked about Paul Abdul inspiring, you know, any of the songs he was no, writing. No, actually, I think I remember an interview with him where he actually kind of uh, shit on Leo Fender a little bit because he wasn't, like entirely happy about the Telecaster, I think it was. Yeah, that was one of the guitars. Well, he, was a, he was a Jaguar guy. Yeah, or maybe that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, it was it was so long ago. But uh, getting back to the original part of the conversation, do you feel like you still hide that part of yourself, the pop side? I probably don't hide it really as much as I just don't admit it or talk to people as much about music anymore. If you go out on a night karaoke with me, you'll find out I'll get up and sing any of this <laughs> shit after a couple of drinks. But it's somehow I was led to this belief that I should be foolish for what I liked as a kid, as a teenager. Okay. But we, we've discovered doing this show that even music from the 90s didn't hold up. When we talked about grunge and we did 1991, all these albums that we really loved and embraced, we found out we were sick of. And a lot of that 80s sound didn't either. 
but there's still a lot there that I have great memories and attachments to. And even as a kid in the seventies, I remember liking ELO as much as I liked the captain and Tennille. So oh, yeah. I, I think that some kind of social pressure just made me feel like I needed to keep the cheese inside myself. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the cheese whiz, the spray yeah, can. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It is. So, all right. Enough about me though. We'll, we'll get a little deeper as we get into the music because <laughs> that's where the honesty will really come out. Yeah. What about you? Now, when we were in high school together, I always associated you with the hair bands in the eighties. I saw you up on stage with high school rock bands and you're usually playing cheap trick or Motley Crue. What was the correct assumption or were you branching out in other directions during that time? Uh, mostly hair bands. Yeah. But, you know, there was also Maiden and Priest that certain people weren't listening to that I hung out with, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever their reasons. Or maybe they did and, they, and I wasn't aware of it. But one of the guys in the band listened to a lot of harder stuff and punk. So on the fringe, I was listening to Slayer, Testament, Sex Pistols, Black Flag, you know, those kind of bands. And I would pay attention. You know, you'd, you'd always see the guy walking down the hall with that classic jean jacket and all the patches on it. Right. And, and I start wondering, what's this dead Kennedy's thing all about? The dead milkman, the circle jerks. And that guy was usually a loner, but there was something cool about him that you admired. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and yeah, and being a loner and I'm a little bit of a loner too, you know, it's not like I would go strike up a conversation and say, Hey, let me borrow your tape, you know, <laughs> but really back then, if you were in a high school band, you would play hair metal or some, some kind of punk, you know, sprinkle in Brian Adams, Aerosmith, you know, that kind of rock. Yep. Cause you're not going to go out and play escape club or Rick Astley, <laughs> right? You're, that, that's not what, that's not what happens. And it takes a special singer to pull off maiden or priest. Yeah. I could pull off the outfield, but not for three sets. So yeah, <laughs> we played a lot of hair bands. Um, but back to what you were first talking about, you're not alone because I also would be worried about receiving judgment in certain circles if mm. i were to listen to pop yep and i'm i'm not alone you know you have different social circles and one of the social circles i was in was hanging out with mark and his friends and there would be pop played in in that circle because they were pretty diverse in what they would listen to i didn't necessarily like millie vanilli or billy ocean but i heard that so i'm aware it's there and this the judgment works within metal as well i had friends who listen to mainly hair yep that would give you the side eye if you put on suicidal tendencies oh yeah yeah and then there was friends who listen to suicidal that would give you the side eye if you turned on winger <laughs> so there's judgment it's everywhere it really feels like people are passing judgment on your masculinity yeah that's what it felt to like. a certain degree yeah and and but pop back then was a little was still pretty tolerable and i don't know if that was kind of the hair band influence where there was still you know some guitar within pop but not entirely. I couldn't take Taylor Dane, but it, you know, but if <laughs> a video of Kylie heart, Minogue, Matt, tell it to my heart. <laughs> yeah, oh God. Yeah. But if a video came on of Kylie Minogue or Paula Abdul, or especially the bangles, you bet your ass I was paying attention. I had such a crush on Suzanne Hoffs and Paula Abdul. <laughs> I, I've made a joke, I think in a previous show about how Mariah Carey videos would come on in the nineties and you'd, yes. hit the, and you'd hit the mute button, but you'd still watch the video. Yes. Interestingly enough, you didn't do that with Susanna Hoffs or Paul Abdul no. or, or Kylie. You know, actually, you, you you endured the song. There was something that was still kind of cool about it. And mm -hmm. I'm going to off script just a little bit here because I, I didn't talk about this ahead of time. But you mentioned Millie Vanilli and they were out this year. And yeah. I'll always wonder why 
they never went back and got the songwriters and the original singers and tried to promote a new album of music because it won Grammys. Yeah. And I'm surprised more of that bullshit didn't happen, or maybe we just don't know about it. We, we probably don't know about it, but if it was good enough to win Grammys, then those awards belong to the artists who actually performed the music. Yeah, not the puppets. No, not the puppets. Well, actually, didn't they have that same kind of thing with CNC Music Factory in the 90s? Yep, yep. I think it was the female singer that was featured in the video. Was not the singer, yeah, on the yeah. album. Yeah. yeah. Most, of, most of you hair metal guys, I always felt like you wanted to beat me up. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the parachute pants. I even had the full Air Jordan outfit during those years. Oh, wow. I was into Bobby Brown, Paul Abdul, New Edition, and I loved it, to be honest. Cold Hearted by Paul Abdul almost made my five this week because I do think it rivals anything that Janet Jackson put out. And I, I talked highly of her in the 1986 episode. But Bobby Brown, he was special for me. His production team invented what became known as New Jack Swing. My prerogative was the blueprint for a lot of the R&B dance songs that came out for the next three to five years. He changed music with this album and he made R&B kind of edgy and exciting again. It wasn't just full of disco beats and it wasn't just all the ballads that you would hear. Mm -hmm. I've talked about songs I've covered in previous shows playing in bands back in Burlington. And I am proud to say I played my prerogative on stage at Nectar's. <laughs> I bet you fish can't claim to say that. <laughs> yeah, probably not. So do you still have a little bit of that fear of judgment that kept you from adding Paula Abdul, Tier 5? No, it, it wasn't as personal to me, her song. Okay. I, I think it's a great song. So, you know, right now, I'll just say it's my honorable mention. Yeah. And, maybe, and I hope maybe the audience will add it to the playlist. <laughs> okay, so you were starting to talk about rap and hip-hop. Mm -hmm. Is uh, So we might as well just steer the conversation right there. Is this... Let's go. Is uh, this a peak year for what you like in rap? Yeah, I, there's a lot of opinion that 1988 was a golden year of hip hop and rap, more so even than the mid 90s, 95 to 97, because you had great albums by NWA, Public Enemy, come on, Rob Bass, It Takes Two, Slick Rick, Eric B and Rakeem, Run DMC, even DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Slap Happy Fresh Prince <laughs> <laughs> debuted. So there's all kinds of classics in 1988 that influenced the growth of hip hop and rap. Yo MTV Raps debuted in yeah. 1988, and this is where it came out of. Probably most of these years surrounding 1998 could feel like peak years as well for me in general. Because I, I hadn't become judgmental. I was listening to pretty much anything. I was 15 and 16 years old. And R&B and rap music was topping what I was listening to. That makes sense. So R&B is essentially pop. And rap is relatable to both of those. Um, we're already hearing a lot of synth and drum machines. So yeah, I don't think it was as much of a leap back then as it is now. Mm -hmm. I think rap was what I enjoyed exploring most this week because I didn't listen to it a lot of it back then. I mean, I heard, you know, the big ones, NWA, Run DMC. Um, one in particular was Jungle Brothers. That yeah. was that was really cool. And I hadn't heard it back. I didn't I saw it in the list. I'm like, what the hell is this? And so dug in. I really liked that. So it's it's kind of interesting to hear who you specifically talk about back then because I, I had no exposure to Slick Rick. Eric B and Rakeem, I had no idea who those were. And these guys were all great to push the growth of hip hop and rap. And they didn't really last into the nineties, but they led to, you know, inspire tribe called quest and Tupac. And 
I'm sure they were all kind of running together with NWA and and Dre and Public mm-hmm. Enemy. But I'm going to talk about Public Enemy because they were really my favorite rap group of this era. I think the dynamic between Chuck D and Flava Flav is one of the best ever in rap music. Chuck D has this deep tone in his voice. Mm-hmm. It, it might make him my favorite rapper of all time. I dug deep and I compared a lot of NWA and Public Enemy music this week. And what I found I think is probably controversial. Both hip hop acts are amazing. And out of both groups, nothing beats the legacy of entertainment over the past 30 years that you're going to get from Ice Cube or Dr. Dre. Come on, look at their contributions to film and music. Mm. It's incredible. And we've both added a Dre song to the playlist off the same album. And there's probably <laughs> probably another one or two to come before the show's finished. Yeah. But here's what I want to bring up. In 1988, I was one of those social change guys. And I was much more attracted to Chuck D's lyrics. They reached out for social change more so than NWA's that reflected their everyday life experiences. Those experiences of NWA were about pulling bitches by their nappy ass weaves and gunning down people over insults. It was really full of a lot of misogyny and violence. And we're from Newport, Vermont. You know, as somebody who was listening to rap music, it was not anything I could relate to. But my problem with it is that it also played up to the stereotypes that I think racist people love to buy into. Yeah, and they're, they're real. I mean, just like any musician, they're going to write about what they know, what the, from their life experiences, and they know their audience too. While I liked NWA, and this could be insulting to people who love rap or that can relate to those songs, but the language made it hard for me to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. Because he, hearing certain words like that in music, it, it would catch me off guard and make me laugh. So it it's hard when you can't relate to the message because it's so different from your own experiences even though there is that disconnect, I could still listen to it. I remember when I first listened to NWA, the whole purpose was almost like sitting around and listening to two live crew. It was not really about the rap music. It was like, oh my God, what are they going to say? Yes. And lyrics that, you know, find a good piece of pussy and get up in it were just as crazy as anything you were going to hear from the, the, you know, the two live crew album with one and one were having some fun that came out, you know, this week. (laughs) And, And I didn't understand that it was really about their life and everything else that was going on. I was listening to NWA and hanging in there for the things that would be really controversial, but I started to really buy into the message that was coming out of Public Enemy and I enjoyed it. And I just like I said, when it comes to the style and the flow, people didn't like Flava Flav and I can understand that the clock around his neck and there's Mm. something about, yeah, boy, you know, that everybody kind of found annoying. But I think he was like a clown. He was like the jester to Chuck being the king. Yeah. And, you know, in between Public Enemy and NWA, they just had different tactics for speaking out about social issues. Yeah. You know, one was kind of, you know, completely reactionary Mm -hmm. and this is my reality. And the other one was kind of like, yeah, I I kind of have the same reality, but why can't it be different? Yeah, exactly. That's a great, great way to sum that up. So as I said, you know, getting personal into this year at the start, I felt like when we were getting ready to do the show, I was going to be in full on defense mode about the music that I was listening (laughs) to and what I liked my 15, 16 year old self in 1988. And I hope I'm sharing the same experience with people who were open to all kinds of music because it wasn't just that type of music that I was into. Yeah, I I had Paula and Bobby, 
but I was also listening to REM. Tracy Chapman's debut album was incredible. Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years was a cat's in the cradle of the 80s. I haven't even listened to that song yet. Even preparing for this week, I was like, I can't listen to that right now. I'm still, Ooh, too, yeah, still, no. still too close to my father's death. Yeah. So I didn't put that on. And, you know, I really, I loved One by Metallica. The music video <laughs> from that, that featured the film Johnny Gunn. Oh, Gator that was Gun. amazing. Yeah, it just hypnotized me. You know, David Lee Roth, the Dead Milkman album was great. You mentioned them earlier. The Church, as you know, alternative music, Fine Young Cannibals. Bobby fucking McFerrin. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. I owned that shit. That cassette was in that case. <laughs> and and here I am right now, my my 50-year-old self soon to be saying, I'm proud of my 15 to 16-year-old self. Well, you should be, because you're, <laughs> you're not on an island, especially with Bobby McFerrin. I mean, Cocktail was a hugely popular movie and soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, be happy took everyone off guard because there was nothing like that around. And that melody is just so infectious and it's happy. It does make you happy. Yeah. And you're right. The Living Years, that's a powerful song. Um, You're a pretty cold person if you're not moved by it. Listing all those artists that I just did, it sounds like probably the most eclectic festival lineup you're ever going to go to. (laughs) And I'm not trying to name check, but, you know, looking back in high school, I probably was a bit of a chameleon. I, I slipped in and out of a lot of social groups. I absorbed their music along the way. This was better for me, I think, than what happened when I got to Bennington in the 90s. You know, do you remember the Crunchies? They were were the ones who I got the alternative indie roots from, The Cure Mm -hmm. and R.E.M. They they were the ones who taught me probably how to make mixtapes and do all the designs on them and everything. (laughs) And I was in dance and theater, so that's where I got a lot of my love for cheesy dance music. There's... uh, Information Society was another thing that came from 1988 that I never brought up. But I remember doing the, I want to know what you're thinking. Tell me what's on your mind. A big dance piece to that. And to this day, I still don't mind hearing it. But what was cool was having friendships with guys like you. That kept me grounded and connected with rock. Because I do think I have a deep love for rock as well. My first music was the Beatles. So, yeah, Yeah. I went into pop and, and I really had a lot of fun with that. But you know, we talk about our first conversation being about Motley Crue and it, it, we come back to that. And it's, it's something that I think rock music is something that we've always enjoyed sharing with each other. And it's a place where guys like you and I meet in the middle. If you go off on the metal end and I go off on the pop end, we come back to this kind of more, I would say digestible, listenable rock music. And we can Mm -hmm. enjoy that together. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have that middle ground. And I wouldn't worry about the name checking too much because, I mean, you've seen the demographic <laughs> of the show. A lot of people might be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And you, <laughs> you, you know, and, and you and you spark good memories, you know, of times and friends, uh, maybe a band they forgot about or, and you know, they really loved or even have a laugh. Oh, shit. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes memories aren't fond because, you know, music is associated with memories. I have bands or songs that bring up tough memories that I'll avoid. And it's funny you bring up the the crunchies uh, because every social group, you know, they had their nicknames, you know, and I was a little like we have we had the we had the jocks. We had the farmers. We had the crunchies. We had the preppies. Yeah, the preppies. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yeah, and the preppies and the jocks were almost kind of like one and the same a little bit. The crunchies were like 80s hippies. Yeah. 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 Kind of like the social change. Mm -hmm. 
advocates and, yep. and that stuff. Yep. Uh, um, but I was a little like you, I could weave in and around everybody. You know, I, I made a couple appearances in the rap room, you know, because there was friends in there and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And you know, blah, blah, blah. And music is the connective tissue with every group. If you don't have the words to explain something that you're going through, you know, or feeling there's always a song there that can help you take care of that yeah. and help you identify and, and make you realize shit, you know what, this has all been done. You know, I I don't yeah, it sucks, but I'm gonna get through it because you know, people get through it. In all honesty, I felt like I was gonna be defensive about my music choices in 1988 as well. I've talked about not being as enamored with hair metal as I once was, but like you, I'm here to own up to that today. You know, winger <laughs> I, I remember your cassette collection. <laughs> oh yeah. Winger, poison, Vinnie Vincent Invasion, Britney Fox, Striper. I owned all of that shit on, on my own. And a lot of times they were blind buying sprees. It's like, oh, here, let's let's check this out. I still want my money back for Britney Fox. That was such a piece of shit. That wasn't that good. Oh, <laughs> oh that was fucking horrible. And Striper's not that far away. Uh, <laughs> but, but early in doing research for 1988, I made a point to not listen to it. Just I didn't want to. I saw certain bands that I just I can't take anymore. And it made me turn away from the whole genre. Mm -hmm. All of it. So I explored metal bands. I didn't back then, you know, Man of War, Celtic Frost, Nuclear Assault. And you know what? I wouldn't have liked that back then. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care for it. Now I have to find something redeeming in the vocals first and foremost. And I don't with growling or screaming if it's not melodic and I can't understand yep. what you're the point that you're trying to get across. I don't mean to apply if I don't like it as shit and no one should ever listen to it. Music is personal. Right. And mm -hmm. um, I just didn't care for it. The only one I felt a little rewarded by was King Diamond because he had an album called Them and it was a concept album. And I'm a sucker for concept albums. Even if there's issues, you know, with certain Sonics, I want to hear the story. I want to see what you're going. And I'm hoping that there's going to be, you know, some dynamics within it, you know, your lows and your highs that, yeah. that hopefully kind of get the points of the story across. Yeah. I think in 1988, there was that middle ground that we probably would have met on a little bit. And unfortunately, there are less than stellar albums by the <laughs> hair group. I don't even, I wouldn't say hair metal. I can't ever call Bon Jovi metal. No. You know? But Bon Jovi had the New Jersey album and Poison had their album. What was Open it? Open up and say, ah, yeah, that was. was it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And those are two two bands i just i can't take them anymore you know and new jersey it was coming off slippery when wet you knew that was going to be a huge success yeah but i remember all of this hype surrounding the new song bad medicine and you know it's like oh tune in for the new bon jovi video blah 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 and i remember i tuned in and i saw it and i'm like oh that's a that's a piece of shit <laughs> that, that, that's that that's not very good but i did eat that poison album up a lot of people did but i listened to it way too much in mainly because the band I was in, we played a bunch of Poison songs. Yep. Um, because, you know, you're going to do what the guitarist wants to play. And, and, but at the time I'm like, yeah, I'm all in, but I just, I can't take the same thing over and over and over. I just revolt. So, you know, I, I have the thing for me, I've said it plenty of times before. I just need to let things go away and let them come back on their own. But a couple of days ago, I'm reflecting on why I didn't want to listen. Was it because I was tired of it or was it because I was embarrassed by it? Okay. So I kind of just did some reflecting on it and, you know, just questioning myself. Was I starting to go back down that negative road instead of embracing positivity 
and what I did like. So I, I said, yeah, I decided that, yeah, you know what? I am starting to just want to hammer on the stuff that I didn't like, or I don't like anymore. So, you know, I did a U-turn and I said, you know what? Let's find, there's gotta be stuff here that I still like. Yep. So and going back, you know, I found groups that I could still listen to kicks black and blue Fraley's comet. I mean, wow. Ace Fraley. I'll, I'll always listen to Ace Fraley. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought I was going to cringe listening to rat or Cinderella or even the bullet boys, but I didn't, I had anthrax on deck just in case <laughs> I had a little escape plan, you know, in case I, <laughs> in case I needed a fix of something a little more sane, but kicks blow my fuse is a forgotten gem for me. That's that's still a really good album. And Way Cool Junior by Rat, that's still that's like one of the greatest 80s hairband guitar licks. You mentioned Cinderella. I think Cinderella was one of the most talented rock bands of the 80s, these hair metal bands. Tom Kiefer was an excellent musician. And yeah, he was. When I saw David Lee Roth in the early 90s, it was David Lee Roth with I think it was extreme open Cinderella was the middle bill and then David Lee Roth was the headliner oh, cool. and in my opinion walking away from the show that night Cinderella stole the show oh wow Tom Kiefer played every instrument on stage and oh wow yeah it was it was fantastic I think they never really got the respect that they deserved so I'm glad you went back and listened to that because I actually listened to a little bit of it this week too and yeah I, I still enjoyed it so that that's great yeah, and unfortunately I think in the mid late 90s he had like vocal paralysis oh wow so it kind of robbed him of his his ability to you know perform yeah um but i think i wanted a few years ago i believe he did put out like a new solo album that was pretty good you know he you know took the work to get his voice back yeah yeah that's amazing so earlier in the show we're, we're going to get back a little bit to pop music here and i'm going to go to a, a ballad from the 80s that's, that's probably one of the most well-known Susanna Hoffs I had an absolute crush on her in 1988 yeah. <laughs> just like you said and I still do she, she looks oh fantastic. yeah she's gorgeous yeah. and she still sounds great she's still out there singing oh putting yeah out she does but there's a great story behind one of these timeless ballads and that's the song Eternal Flame it's retro in it that it has no chorus it's kind of like the Beatles we can work it out Instead of having a middle eight, the portion beginning, say my name, sunshine through the rain, that repeats twice. And like the Beatles song, both verses end on the song's title. So mm -hmm. if you think about the end of the song, it ends okay. on her eternal flame. The music box idea at the beginning came from her manager. It was originally a guitar song. And when she sat down with the band and tried to introduce it to them, they didn't like it. And they were making this album the manager came back and said, well, I keep thinking of this song that you brought to us, but I want to try this out. And so he brought the music box idea in and he did this because he thought it kind of had a Patsy Cline feel and Susanna Hoffs loved Patsy Cline and she loved singing along to Patsy Cline music. So I've got a lot of respect for that, but something really funny about this song is that he pranked her and he told her that Olivia Newton-John had recorded her biggest hit singing naked in the booth. So Susanna said, I'm going to do the same thing. She put baffles up. I don't believe there's anything perverse about this. I think yeah. it was just having fun back in the eighties. And she sang the song completely naked. Uh, 
Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know uh, she actually. I don't really know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, she actually enjoyed the experience so much that she ended up doing the whole album this way. So the whole oh, really? album, yes, was sung naked by Susanna Hoffs. I don't think I need that information. She she compared it to skinny dipping and the thrill of it. Oh, I bet. I can see how that would work, but I am kind of happy that my 15-year-old self didn't know that fact back in the day. Because if I did, I'd yeah. know every word on that <laughs> album. <laughs> yeah, that and that album probably would have got even a lot more popular. Yeah, it's, but it's a great <laughs> story behind that song. Yeah, it's I like that story, and it kind of it does add to the legend of it. But I never realized what you were talking about with how uh, Eternal Flame was recorded. And maybe that's kind of what helped it stand out because it it was atypical. You know, it's not that roadmap that we yeah. always talk about. Yeah. So you backtracked. I want to backtrack a little bit more. It's your turn. You mentioned David Lee Raw. Yeah. A while ago. So Skyscraper was one of the albums I dug into when I was revisiting revisiting metal. Mm-hmm. And this album shouldn't even have been in that list. It's it's not metal. It's it's a hot mess in a most incredible way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it defies you to put it in a box. It's experimental and rock. There's flares of prog, but it's all tied together with this pop sensibility. And yeah. I'm so glad I listened to it again. I, I love it. I didn't expect it to age this well because some of these songs, they're really different. If you want to know the kind of musicians he surrounded himself with, listen to the bottom line or even Skyscraper. And I mean, you know, the name Steve, I, Billy Sheehan. Yeah. But I mean, does any listen to the bottom line and you realize, holy shit, Greg Bissonette's a fucking kick-ass drummer. Yep. Or I even loved hot dog and a shake. <laughs> and and I remember seeing that song title and going at first when I remember getting the album the first time and going, Oh, hot dog and a shake. Yeah. I don't know. But okay. <laughs> That's David Lee Roth you know? for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was, but he was really smart with this album because he knew he was, no matter what he did, he's always going to be compared to Van Halen, but you can't compare skyscraper with OU812. They're so different no. in every way, even damn good, which should be a straight ahead radio friendly ballad. It's got this flair on the acoustic guitar that you don't hear in a typical, you know, ballad guitar song that was out in the 80s yeah it's absolutely amazing take a moment here because who would think that on the 1988 episode we would celebrate a david lee roth album so much i know you you sent me a message the other day about how you'd listened to it and rediscovered it and i was at work last night i was on night shift and i could put headphones on and i decided you know i'm just kind of agreeing with matt that this is a great album but i only really know one song (laughs) off of this well so i'm gonna put it on and listen to it and we know, well, we know, maybe the audience doesn't, people might find out from right now that Steve Vai was actually a protege of Frank Zappa and came out of Zappa's band. And I was blown away by some of, you talked about just now, the prog rock compositions that were there. And some of this, I thought, you know, David Lee Roth doesn't write music, but he does bring people together to create good music. And he kind of knows what he's doing. And I'm sure he gave these guys a lot of freedom in the studio to create. And there's so much great guitar work that Steve Vai does that reminds me of the best of what I liked about Zappa. You and I have both talked about not really understanding Zappa that much, mm-hmm. but but there's some style, there's some some structure to the way he plays, the tropes we talk about. 
but the Zappa tropes are just, you know, they're mind blowing. Yeah. They're sick. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, they're definitely mind blowing. And there's part of me that wonders if when Steve Vai made this album, it was really his stepping out to show what he could do apart from what he'd already been known for because he had a massive stage with David Lee Roth. I mean, Billy Sheehan, he is a rock. He's not going anywhere. And the yeah. song's not going anywhere. If he's going to come play bass for you, your song's in a pocket. It's there the whole time. You're not going to yep. lose anything. But there's such creativity with the guitar work that goes on on this that I couldn't help but think, I didn't listen to this the right way when it came out. And I want to go back and show this album to people who might have prejudged this back then and still hold some kind of grudge against it just because it's diamond dave dave yeah. really pulled this together in a way that it, it shocked me so i've come to the show saying matt i listened to this last night after what you said and this is an album that i'm going to go back and give multiple listens to i have another friend who really loves this album and i've always kind of nodded and been like yeah good album. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've probably got to tuck my tail between my legs and go back and be like, dude, this is really awesome. <laughs> and and yeah, you were right the whole time. Yeah, And it's amazing how well it aged. I, yeah. I really couldn't get through it. And back to your Steve Vai comments. And I wonder if him coming, bringing more of his background, the, you know, the Zappa background was also a way of him or maybe, you know, producer, I don't know, but saying, you know what, unless I do something, that I really know what to do. I'm always going to be compared to Eddie yeah, because of Dave. But I mean, really though, if you go back and listen to eat him and smile, I mean, I, I, I guess you could, I mean, that's more of a straightforward, you know, rock album. It is. It this. is. So, so yeah, there was always, you know, more, more uh, comparisons, but I wonder, yeah, how much of that was like a conscious effort to go. We're going to show people we're not Van Halen. Yes. And then they did that. And it's a shame that this didn't wind up being Dave's band for a longer period of time because yeah, you know, just shit happens. It does. Well, he brought in ringers, <laughs> you know, and ringers don't always hang yeah. around. They, no. they move on to something else. And it, yeah, obviously yeah. people move on from Dave as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They do. So are we done with uh, our general conversation in 1988? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think, I think, I think that's kind of, summed it up it, it was a really good year yeah i'm happy that we went to 1988 it was refreshing it was kind of cool to go back and look at these songs with fresh ears after everything yeah. else that we've been listening to for the past few episodes and i, I really enjoyed it so uh version 1988 you chose i believe i will start off with somebody who i've mentioned previously Obviously, there is a lot of hero worship going on in 1988 with Bobby Brown, and I mentioned the song, My Prerogative. When I was 15 years old, I wanted to be Bobby Brown. I loved the entire album. I was really into the dancing in the music video. That music video had the live element, and they brought in an audience, and they brought you know dancers out on stage, and the performance of that music video is incredible. In retrospect, I do think the song appealed to me quite a bit at that time in my life because I was raised a lot around religion and I wanted to make more of my own decisions and how I live my life. So I think the lyrics kind of connected to me in a sense. I think the lyrics mm. kind of connected to me in a sense. But I also still think the groove really holds up. It just, it's solid. And it's, to, to me, 
I know you're not into all the electronic drums and some of that stuff that goes on in some music, but I do think that the do 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 it's just it's one hundred percent classic groove. Yeah, no, and this is the song that basically says, "Don't tell me how to live." Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, this was this was his breakup from New Edition and yeah. kind of going out there on his own and showing the world that he deserved to be the superstar. Yeah. I will always embrace the Don't Be Cruel album. Yeah. And right. and uh, what wasn't the other group from that? Belle Bib DeVoe? That was, yeah. Yep, well, there was, it, okay. I wasn't Bell, sure if I was on the right group there. Yeah, Belle Bib DeVoe. Uh, and then Ralph, Ralph Tresvant also had a semi-successful solo career. But you can actually go see these guys probably within the past three years performing live all together. Bobby's back with them. Oh, they, really? They even bought, brought in a guy to replace Bobby, Johnny Gill. And so it's six of them on stage and they all <laughs> do all their individual songs and they're all 55 to 60 years old spinning around oh my on God, stage. It's like their own music <laughs> festival. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's actually a lot of fun to see, no matter oh, cool. how out of breath they get. <laughs> all right, that's my number one. What is yours, Matt? Uh, my number one, since it's still fresh in our heads, is David Lee Roth, Just Like Paradise. Yeah, this song, it sounds like 1988 to me. Like I said, so I'll, I'll refrain from the honorable mentions because I think I've already talked about it up, <laughs> up top a little bit. Um, but Just Like Paradise, it's the poppiest, most radio-friendly song on the album. I seem to always have one slot that keeps changing in my five. Um, I went from you know group to group to group, but after listening to skyscraper the last few days i recognize i'm listening to this on repeat and i'm singing <laughs> along to the songs and i'm like you know what just like paradise it's got to be there when this showed up on the playlist and i knew it was coming to the show i was so happy because i did see things swapping it out of what you were going to bring in <laughs> yeah and, and not to hijack your moment but when i moved to the uk i had a moment with this song where i was on a train ride across scotland and there were mountains in the distance and everything mm -hmm. was just absolutely gorgeous. And the chorus of that song was on in my headphones and hearing the, you know, this must be just like living in paradise and I don't want to go home. I really connected to this song. I, I got connected to a David Lee Ross song. <laughs> Who would have thought that would <laughs> ever happen? But yeah, man, it's, it's so good. So great, great song to bring to the yep. playlist. Thank cool. you. All right, my number. Jim. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Take us away. You're number two. All right. That's Public Enemy. I'll come back to it. As I said earlier, I think that Chuck D and Flava Flav were really the guys I admired for rap. The song is Don't Believe the Hype. This song has a great message about how the hype is a stereotype of what the media was using to sell about African-Americans. They were claiming all were criminals and dangerous, you know, being feared on site. He talks about people walking across the street when they see him, that everybody thinks he's going to be carrying a gun. And it really does address it very well. Uh, false media is a term he uses in the song. And that's something that carries on today yeah. very strongly. Yes, it does. It's such a strong song. And it changed the way I looked at the world a lot in 1988. So I would love to have people listen to this song and dig a little deeper into Public Enemy because I know a lot of accolades get given to NWA, but in my opinion, this deserves the same kind of respect from this year. Yes, it does. It definitely does. All right. So my number two, I am going to go with uh, Melissa Etheridge and Chrome Plated Heart. So 
I gave my wife a song this week <laughs> because I knew she was a huge fan of her debut album in yep. 88. Yep. Um, she, she, she gave me three and she was having trouble to pick. Um, so I said, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll pick. So I chose Chrome plated heart. Um, <laughs> and this is definitely one of the songs that I have a lot of memories of when we were first starting to date, she listened to this album a lot back then and this was one of the songs that she would actually sing in the car. She never really sang a lot, but she would definitely sing along to Melissa Etheridge. Oh, that's cool. So, Melissa Etheridge, Chrome, Chrome Plated Heart is yeah. my second. So on to you for your third. All right. My my third. Here we go. This, um, this is going to get a little deep. And I've only actually told a couple of people in my life the story and relationship that I have with this song. It's World Leader Pretend by R.E.M. Ironically... I lost my religion to this song. <laughs> the lyrics to this song one night made me decide that I'd been raised one way, but it was time for me to forge a path in a different direction and be who I really felt like I was inside. I remember sitting at the kitchen table in my family home and I had a journal, a notebook, something like that. And I wrote out all the lyrics to this song in the notebook. And it was this moment that I did this that I knew that I was going to have to leave all the beliefs that I'd been raised with behind. There was this kind of internal war that was taking place inside of me. And it took breaking down walls. The song isn't musically exciting, but the lyrics will always hold deep personal meaning to me. And I'll always be connected to this song because it's one of the most life-changing and emotional decisions that I've ever had to make in my lifetime. Oh, wow. Uh, that Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. It takes uh it takes a lot to open up, especially uh you know especially about something like that. Yeah. So thank you, and, th- and that is a good song. It is, it is, and I, I hope people enjoy it. There's there's a lot of great stuff on that Green album. If you didn't like REM in the '90s, go back and check out REM in the '80s because they were a different kind of band and they were a lot of fun and, and they had a oh, lot yeah, of great definitely. music. Yeah. So that's my number three. What's yours, Matt? My number three is going to be The Church and Under the Milky Way. Yeah. This song is still awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's timeless. It, it's a rare song that I don't mind if it if it never goes away. I kind of always want it to be around. I love the sound of the 12 string on it. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's got this whole haunting atmosphere and lyrics that match because they're very, they're very cryptic. You don't really know what it's about. Um, but I've always kind of taken it to be, you know, about longing for a love that may be unattainable. Um, but the lyrics and the atmosphere, they match perfectly. It's a, it's a really, really well-crafted song. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And it's, it's one of those really nice kind of poppy three minute, four minute tunes, but it holds up like a radio song, even though it has more of the early alternative feel. I also, this is one of those bands where, because I was breaking away from the religion at the time, I came across a band called The Church. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, side eye, I'm going to listen to that, find out what this is like. And I really enjoyed it. So uh, well, I actually almost brought this into my five. I'm glad you brought it in. Awesome oh, song. I stole it from you. Uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right so f- on to you for, for uh, number four. Number four for me. We're going to go to Jane's Addiction in 1988. I love the Nothing Shocking album. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. The song that I picked off of it, this was difficult actually, but I couldn't not pick Summertime Rolls. 
I didn't discover the album actually until 1993. <laughs> I knew about Ritual de Habitual and Ben Caught Stealing and Stop when it came out in 1990. But for some reason, I never went back on them and mm -hmm. looked for music that they released previously. And when I first heard the Nothing Shocking album, I had one of those how have I never heard this yeah. moments, you know, where you're just blown away. I've got a lot of great memories associated with my friends in Bennington with this song, and especially hanging out in the summertime. We would hang out, stay up all night. We would have fires, sit outdoors, the talks of the blade of grass, falling in love, the fireflies. I, I, when I just hear the intro bass line to this song, Oh, it's yeah. one of those things where I can see myself in a arm in arm circle with the guys that I was hanging out with and <laughs> all of us just being kind of in one moment with this song together. Yeah, every time I hear it, it's like a transporter that takes me back to the best days of my early 20s. Awesome. It, that's what's so great about music when it does that. I will also give a honorable mention to Ted Just Admit It off this album. <laughs> I'll allow that. Yeah, it's. I mean, come on. Who, <laughs> yeah. who, who puts Ted Bundy in their song? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but but there's something about that song that's just crazy <laughs> it's and cool. fucking great. And also, Stephen Perkins, in my opinion, was one of the greatest rock drummers of all that era from Jane's Addiction okay, in the yeah. '90s grunge. And you know, you talk about parts and songs, and I wish we could play them on the show. But when the song goes into a faster part towards the end, there's something, go back, listen to it through headphones, that he's drumming and playing with his ride at the same time, that when I listen to it, my brain goes, how is he doing that? Yeah, so anyway, that's an overstatement on an honorable mention, but <laughs> I have to say that. So that's my number four. On to yours, Matt. What do you got? All right. So I will go with Queensryche and I don't believe in love. So I had to have something of metal in here um and it was really hard not to talk about Queensryche until now because we could have had a really long conversation about operation mind crime that is such a phenomenal album it's it's a great story great music the whole album is like full of great songs mm -hmm. and Queensryche just kicks ass on it i don't believe in love it's it's a catchy metal song that can stand on its own outside of the story though you know, I always struggled with Queensryche. I'll admit that to you. We we oh, talk yeah. about we talk about whether or not we're going to be assholes to each other, and I'm not going to on this show with all the opening <laughs> up that we've done about. I'm not embarrassed about liking this. Yep. And I listened to this song, you know, prepping for the show. And Queensryche's sound is unique, and there's a lot of chorus yeah. on the guitars. You have to be able to accept what's going on there, and then oh, his yeah. his vocal is one of a kind for that oh, type yeah. of, that type of music as range is crazy how he can it's go ridiculous. from being so deep yep. to being you know shattering so, glass i remember yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the album ends with just that voice i remember yeah you know it ends how it began yeah oh that's what it is i remember now <laughs> it's it once again concept albums and i was thinking about how oh i struggle with queen's reich and I got to go and listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then I, I also realized, wait a minute. I'm the same guy when it comes to concept albums that will probably come on at some point and talk about Ziggy Stardust with Bowie or, you know, we'll, oh, get, yeah. in, we'll get into Pink Floyd, The Wall at some point in the show. Yeah. And 
concept albums can be great. You've brought it up before. If you've got a story that can take you from the beginning to the end and it's a complete journey in music, it's yes. really cool. So the first time I listened to this song, I went, I don't get it. I had to go back and I had to listen to the whole album. Oh, okay. And after listening to it, it was, it, yeah, it's a, it's a metal musical. <laughs> There's, yeah. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> I, I, I could see this kind of being performed on stage in a, a very epic fashion. So, oh yeah. Queensryche, I'm very happy to have them on the playlist. Awesome. Cool. Alrighty. So, oh, time to wrap up your five. How are you ending yours? I'm going to end mine with, well, it's kind of metal, I think. I don't really know how to describe living color. You know, yeah. the, the song's called The Personality. You right. listen to Vernon Reed's guitar, and it, it is metal. It's, you know, it's it's hard, but there weren't a lot of singers in metal that had Corey Glover's style of vocals. It's soulful, but the message to the song called The Personality, to me, hasn't changed in the 35 years since it's come out. Yeah. And, you know, some bands out there, they only need one song to remain relevant forever. And this is yes. one of those songs from a band like this. I think it, realistically, you look at what's going on in the world, it might even be more poignant today than it was back in 1988. Oh yeah. And, and this is just one of those songs, like you said, it's gonna, it's gonna be there forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just that unique and that good. Yeah. They're one of those bands that they were a little out there for me at times, you know, it was some of the stuff they were doing, I think. Yeah. Vernon Reed is one of those guitarists that it's uh let me see how many notes I can play. Yeah. There's a jazziness to him. And yeah, I, I think they try to label it funk, but the metal sound combined with it didn't always work, but yeah. there are some good songs on this album. Oh, and, definitely. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. It was also in that case that I carried around and it's probably one of my favorite rock songs of all of the eighties. And it also broke down barriers, I think, for African-Americans playing metal. Yep. I mean, there were hard rock guys out there already playing, but this was really the first time you saw an all-black band, yeah. a music video on television getting streamed into white people's living rooms, and they're playing yep. a hard rock song. And Everybody going, what the hell is this? And it fucking rocked. <laughs> it and it, did. Was, it was awesome. So yep. Living Color, my five, I'm happy with that. What's yours? I'll wrap up my five with shadowy men on a shadowy planet and having an average weekend. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I what? know everybody. What? What? Every, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going, who the fuck? Goddamn Matt. Why shadowy are you doing this all on the a time? Shadowy planet. Planet. Having an average weekend. Is the name <laughs> of the song. So if anybody is familiar with the kids in the hall, it was a Canadian sketch comedy group. They had their own TV show and they had a movie uh, and they use this as their theme song. And I know this is a very selfish pick for me, but it's my five. They should all be selfish picks. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But, absolutely. But me, Mark, and our friend Chris, a hearty, which you know, um, mm -hmm. will probably be in the small minority that when the song comes on, we go, fuck, yeah, I love this. <laughs> and and I'm going to have to be granted some leeway because it does come off a compilation because it was so hard to figure out. When did this song actually come out? Yeah, I tried um, to find it. On the wiki page, it does seem to have come from an album at some point, but... Yeah, from like an EP, but there's no dates of releases. No, the, no. They were probably all self-releases. But it's it's a light surf instrumental, and I absolutely love that guitar lick and the opening bass line. Um, and I just have some just incredibly good memories associated with this song. It makes me smile. 
that's one of the telltales that it's got to be on my list. It's got to be on my five. But don't call them a surf band. No, they're not a surf band. Because they actually wrote a song called "Don't Call Us a Fucking Surf Band" oh, or something yeah, like don't that. Don't call us a surf band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 the guitar has that tone. Oh, it does. It does. It does. I put this on, thinking to myself, "What am I getting into?" I, I wasn't as into Kids in the Hall as you were. I remember it being on, but I was more a Saturday Night Live guy back in those days. Yeah. And there was definitely a different brand of humor happening on Kids in the Hall. Oh, K- Kids in the Hall is definitely quirky, and a lot of times you got to the end of a skit and you're like when am i when am i when when's the laugh coming yeah when's you're the waiting on coming? the joke yeah and it just never came <laughs> <laughs> so who's the joke on well there we go cool. 1988 is all done. in the books yeah it's so let me see i chose 1988 yes no no i chose 1988. no you chose 1980 here we go again having yeah, the same goddamn yeah, argument yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna start putting it on the white the whiteboard behind me <laughs> <laughs> So I guess it's my turn to choose where we go next then. Yeah, where are we going after 1988? We are going to 1975. Oh, wow. I almost spit my beer out there. I expected you to yeah. take us back into the 2010s. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want no, to knock we, another one of these out. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, we've knocked enough of them out. Uh, and, and because we left the 2000s on a high note with 2019. Yeah, that was a good show. So let's give the 2000s the break that it deserves because we haven't visited the 70s in a long time. Nope, we haven't been there. So, and this is definitely going to be a high research year for mm-hmm. us, at least for me, because, you know, 75, I'm four years <laughs> old. What, what the hell do I know? <laughs> well, it's nice. We, we teetered on the edge of it with 1974. So yes. there might be yep. something and, there that we've already and, noticed. In 77, we had Star Wars. That was like a big shocking year for us. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, things to fall back on for memories so yeah, yeah. 1975 that uh it's good it's gonna be fun because it always is fun yeah it's even be... in the even in the rants it's fun it's gonna be fun what's nice about <laughs> these types of years is that there's nothing that really gets me angry in 1975 because i was three i'm not sick of it i either yeah. like it i either like it or i don't and that's gonna be the end of it <laughs> yeah yeah really uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. three-year-old me said this sucks don't ever play it again <laughs> i spit out my pacifier as soon as i heard that song <laughs> uh it sounds too much like kenny rogers yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Maybe there's some Kenny Rogers in 1975. There we'll probably is. First edition, yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt, I wrapped up 2019, so it's your turn to wrap up My turn. 1988. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Jam Yearbook for version 1988, and we'll see you back here next time for version 1975. Thank you again for uh, voting in the polls on the Facebook page and uh, song editions. So uh, don't look forget. look for us on TikTok. We've got TikTok oh, yes. now. Hashtag right. the jam yearbook. Easy to find. Yeah. Easy to find. And yeah, I need to post a little bit more, TikTok. but I'm but I'm trying to do that. You know, I'm yeah. getting there. It's it's, it's all it's, it's a, a generational thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can only do so much. All right, everybody. We will see you next time for version 1975. So yes, from will. the jam yearbook, I am Matt, and that is Jim. We'll see you next time. Peace, love, and podcast. Yeah.